But I want you to think of this. As you think about your influence and culture, there are a few traps you can fall into that prevent you from truly making an impact. One of the traps is to stay clear of people who, because of their lifestyle or status or any other number of variables, have been marginalized by the misplaced values of the world. Yet Jesus expects his followers to engage the spiritually needy, the outcasts, and the lost in the hopes of bringing them to him. Let me just break that down for you for a second and think about this for a second. Too many times in our culture today, we get so caught up in just being around Christian people that we don't even see a world that's dying in the need of a savior. You know, I think so many times in our lives, I think that what happens, and I, and I want to be careful here, and tonight's lesson, we got to be very careful because we got to know his boundaries. But we're going to look at a man in Jesus himself who basically said, you know what, I don't care what people are going to say about me, I'm going to go try win the loss. I'm going to go talk with the sinners. Those are the people that I want to follow me. The, spirit, the, the spiritual needy, the, those who don't want nothing to do with me, who the world would consider, gee, why would he want them? You see, in, in our culture, in our world, we would think that the rich or people who have it all together, we would think that they would be the one that Jesus would want. But it's a quite the opposite. Jesus wants sinners to come to him. And when we sit and think of our lives, for us who call ourselves believers, we need to recognize that we were once there. We were, we had nothing, we wanted nothing to do with God. Romans 3 would tell you that. That none of us desired anything to do with God. None of us. Not me, not you, but it's only by the grace of God that he changed that in us. So tonight, we have to understand what type of impact are we making? And this is a very short passage, but I want us to understand Matthew chapter 9. And looking at the first two verses, 9, Matthew 9, 9 to 13, but we can look at 9 and 10 first. First of all, we have to understand the context there. We have to understand what was happening. Jesus had just finished healing the paralytic. And we know the paralytic when Jesus said to pick up your bed and go home. And he arose and went home. The crowd saw it and they were afraid. And they glorified God who had given such authority to men. Verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Let me stop there for a second. Tax collector. Do you think a tax collector in any day was a good person? No, right? But especially in those days. Because you know, like, you know, even in, when we come through customs here and we think that we slide a guy a couple dollars and we get by or, or, you know, that's the same thing that these guys were. Tax collectors, they were ready to basically, no matter what, they, they was going to make their own money as well. Whether it meant stealing from the Jews, and the Jews hated tax collectors. They wanted nothing to do with the tax collector. They thought, did you know what? These are our own people who taxing us. Something like what we feel like today. Right? Taxes come, we, we have all these taxes, and we think to ourselves, 
Why are we being taxed? It's no different. But Matthew, being a task collector, Jesus wanted him. Jesus said, what do you say? Follow who? Follow me. To the regular person, they would think, why would one with Matthew? Why would Jesus want Matthew to follow him? If you look at Jesus' disciples, I might have question that Jesus ever picked the smartest people. Who was considered the smartest people? No, because a lot of them were fishermen and they were considered not the brightest people. You see, Jesus wants to use anyone who's willing. And, 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 and as, he, as he said, a task like a sinner. Verse 10, as Jesus reclined at a table in the house, behold, many task collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Here it is. And I want us to look at it in this setting. And like I said, tonight we got to be very careful because I'm not giving you a license to just go anywhere and say, you know what? Tell your parents, well, you know what? I got to go win these sinners. So whatever I got to do, I'm going to do. No, no, no. That's not what you do. We had a sense of Jesus. Jesus is what? Perfect. Sinless. It would be wrong, and, and, and we have some Christians today who will tell you, you know what? We, we got to go win these people for Christ, but they ain't in the church, so we got to go to the club. We got to go to the club because that's where the sinners are. We got to go win them people for Jesus. How many of y'all ever heard that? Anyone ever heard that? I got to go to the club. You know what some people use that an excuse for? They won't go clubbing. They won't go partying. They ain't really want to go win no one for Jesus in there. Let's be honest. You go in any club in Nassau, number one, you ain't going hear that person talking to you. Number two, they bust right up already. Some of them. And number three, it just ain't the best place to go. But Jesus says, you know what? I want these task collectors to sit with me. I'm going to go to their house. I'm going to a house. I'm going to recline a table in this house, and I want a tax collector to come there. I want you to imagine this for a second. You see me or one of the other youth leaders, and you see us with a bunch of guys who you would probably think to yourself, wait, what are they doing with them? You see, we get to a point in our Christian life where we get stuck up. That we get so caught up in us, that we get so caught up in just the Christian needs. We get so caught up in our Christian circles that we don't even see a lost world dying every day. Think about it for a second. When's the last time you told someone about Christ? When's the last time you saw an outcast in your school and you went over to them and said, you know, can I have lunch with you today? You see, the sad thing for us is we want to be in the in crowd. We want to be just in our little circles, our cliques. And we don't, work, we don't see a dying world around us. But Jesus said, you know what? I want the sinners to come to me. And of course, just in every place, even in our world today, some religious people come, the Pharisees. What do we know about the Pharisees? What, what do we know about the Pharisees? Who are the Pharisees? 
People in charge, okay. Anyone else? What, what is, who are the Pharisees? They were respected people in the community, right? They were people who, you know, they thought they had it all together. They thought they were, they were it. Everything had to go through the Pharisees. That was, if, if you were doing this thing, the Pharisees knew and they wanted to make sure that you knew they knew. But what does it say here when the Pharisees saw Jesus? Verse 11 said, when the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Here it is. They're trying to cause discourse. They go into his disciples saying, hey, why? That's your old teacher over there. That's your old leader. Why are you over there with them boys over there? These sinners, they tax collectors, they no good people. They taxing us. They taking our money. And that's who Jesus is eating with. You see, we got to be careful in our own lives that we don't get caught up like this. But how does Jesus respond? But when he heard it, he said, those are who are well, have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. How many of y'all ever see healthy people go to the hospital? Besides going for a physical or something. You think they stay overnight in the hospital they, if they well? No, right? That don't happen, right? Let, yeah. But, unless they go and visit someone, yes. But they're not going to stay overnight in a bed and everything else. You know, that's not going to happen. That's what Jesus is saying, look. Why am I concerned about the healthy people? I got to go get the sick. And when he says sick here, he's talking spiritually sick. They need Jesus. They need me. They need a savior. Like I said, we get caught up. You know, there's a very fine line that we got to walk tonight. Because we got to make a point to understand that we got to make an impact over here. But we got to make sure that our impact doesn't ruin us. I'm not saying that you say, you know what, my best friend is an unbeliever. I'm not giving a guy or a girl to say, you know what, I can win that boy for Jesus. That's why I'm with him. Let me tell you something, it don't work that way. Majority of the time that guy can bring you down. Very seldom you see, you know, and let me tell you something, girls, I've told you this before. Guys smart, you know. They can come to church with you. They can make you think, yeah, you know what? Then your parents can see him and be like, yeah, like, that's a nice young man. He's coming to church. He coming to church on a regular Sunday. That's pretty good. In fact, he might even come Sunday night. That make him a better Christian. Oh, yeah. And you know deep down, ain't an opponent. You know, you know, once y'all leave church and you get in this car and he throwing them tunes, it ain't nothing happening. You see, that's where you got to be careful. It's a fine line to walk. Verse 13. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I have came, came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus is making it very clear. Look, I came here for sinners. 
Let me ask you a question. How many of you are born sinners? Okay. How many of you, when you came out of the womb, you wanted something to do with Jesus Christ? That, that, that first desire was, yes, I want to I wanna please Jesus. I want to please God. Uh, no, you didn't. You know that most children, the first thing we learn? No. You know why we learn no? Because that's all our parents say, no, no. You know, stop doing that, no. You know, that's how we learn it. You ever had to, you ever had to teach a kid to, not, to disobey? You ever had to teach him that? No, right? You got to teach someone to obey, right? The list goes on. We were all sinners. For us who call ourselves Christians, we were sinners saved by grace. Which means that, you know what? We need to look at the world that is around us, that this world is dying. People around us are dying and going to hell every single day of our lives. And you know what? We live in a place in Nassau. It ain't safe. You know, we think if we go in a gated community, we're safe. But we know that's not true today. You know, we think that we could go anywhere. We don't know what's going to happen. I challenge you, again, to be like Jesus, but you got to make sure you understand that there are boundaries. You know, invite your friend over to your house. Invite a person over who you know doesn't know Jesus and invite them into your house. Go to lunch one day and say, hey, um, why don't we have lunch together today? You know, this is how we have to do it. You don't go to the club. You know, that doesn't happen. You don't become like them, as some people like to take Paul's description and say, I became all things, you know, basically when I went to these different places. So that doesn't mean I go into the club and I party over here. Yeah, party over here. And then I come to church. You know? <laughs> you know, it don't work that way. We got to recognize that, you know what? No matter what, we got to come back to this. This is our foundation. This is what we're trying to do. We're trying to win people for Christ. Let me ask a question. If you had the cure for cancer, right? But you withheld it. Would that make you responsible for people's diet, death? Right, yeah. You could probably, you know, that, that would make you indirectly responsible because you didn't give the cure. But you know what? We do it every day of our lives. People around us are dying and going to hell, and we don't share Jesus Christ with them. That's the cure. Does it mean that they'll always respond to the gospel when we tell them it? No. But it's not our job to change them. Our job is just to tell them. How do we apply this? Just a couple of questions, and you're going to go through these in your small groups tonight. Our culture often overlooks who's the most needy. If you follow Jesus' example, how might you yourself find yourself going against culture's values and embracing God's values? 
How do we treat those who consider the outcasts in society? How do we look at people who we would consider the outcasts that, you know what? We join in and laugh at those people sometimes. But you saw so-and-so. <laughs> That's what we do. But then we want to have a good testimony. Thirdly, how do we treat those who wouldn't be considered popular in the eyes of the world? You know, like I said, people are dying all around us. What are we doing about it? Are we trying to help them out? And lastly, how do we as Christians look down on people who are living a life of the world? You know, I challenge you. See, if that would have said 116, that would have been fine, but 112. But the point is, is this. What type of impact are you making? You know, we as Christians could be considered snobbish at times. And I said we. Because it seems like we don't want nothing to do with the world. We know people dying. But we need to understand that it's our responsibility to tell these people about Christ. Make a good impact in this culture. That's the only way culture will ever change. It's by us. In closing, you may be thinking tonight, you know what? I'm too young. I can't make a difference. Well, there was this boy who was, his name is Zach. He lives in Tampa. And he, Tampa, and he was a big, um, he had a big thing on the news where Hurricane Charlie, remember Hurricane Charlie a couple years ago? Charlie, remember Hurricane Charlie hit? Yeah. Devastated an area by Tampa. And um, it's another area right there. But anyway, he decided, he was only about six years old, he decided, you know what, I'm going to get a, and, and we would look at a kid like that and think, you know what, it's a joke. He got his little um, red wagon, went house to house, and just collected water bottles. Water for people. He was able to collect so much water for people that didn't have no water during the storm. A six-year-old made an impact. A couple of years ago, he was 16 years old, and he's already started his nonprofit organization where he wants to feed one million people. And it actually came to being. Because you know why? He was dedicated to what he wanted to do. And you know what? I don't know for sure if he was a Christian, but you know what's sad about that if he's not a Christian? Sometimes that's what the world, the world does a better job than us. It seems that they care more about people dying than us. So what are you going to do? Are you going to allow yourself to be used by God to make a difference, to make an impact? I hope so. Father, we thank you for tonight, and we thank you for your love for us, and we thank you for your word. Father, I pray that you would help us to continue to be on in all that we do, and I pray that you would just allow us to recognize tonight that we need to make an impact that we do have the cure to life and it's because we have a relationship with you and I pray that you continue to be on in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.